New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. episode of Total Soccer Show where we sink our teeth into one of the meatiest topics in the beautiful game. Today, we're turning our attention to the red side of Manchester and the ongoing saga that is the ownership of Manchester United. In May 2005, Malcolm Glazer took a majority stake in the club, bringing its value to around £1.5 billion. 18 years later this very month, the club is reportedly valued at north of £5 billion, with local businessman Jim Ratcliffe apparently bidding against Sheikh Jazim bin Hamid Al Thani of Qatar. Today, we're looking into the buyout, why it's happening, what's happening with it, and what it means for the club and its standing in global soccer. My name's Ryan Bailey. Today, I'm joined by noted Manchester United sympathiser Taylor Rockwell. Mm. Hello. Hello. Joe Lowry, who has... uh, (laughs) What kind of feelings toward Man United? I'm not even sure, Joe. Uh, As neutral as neutral can be, Ryan, is the answer, yes. Very good. And Graham Ruthven, how are you feeling about Man United these days? Screw those guys. Hi, Ryan. Ah! How are you? (laughs) I'm very good. Thank you for asking, Graham. Okay, a sincere question. Obviously, Taylor, we know you like Manchester United. Joe and Graham, do you actually like this club? Are they a club that that annoys you? I mean, my perspective on this matter is, is tainted by my 90s upbringing and the fact that everyone in... The playground in South London, where I grew up, was a Manchester United fan, despite (laughs) many Premier League clubs being available within a few mile radius of that playground. And uh, yeah, uh, we tend to be jealous of success, Graham. So how do we feel about Manchester United? So I certainly wouldn't say I have an affinity for Manchester United, but when I grew up, Sir Alex Ferguson was Manchester United manager, noted Scottish person, and Darren Fletcher played for Manchester United, also noted Scottish person. And also Manchester's not really that far from Scotland. So if you go to a Premier League game, it tends to be Newcastle United or Manchester United. I know you've got Man City now, but back when I was growing up, Man City weren't really on the radar. So I've been to a few Manchester United games. I went as a kid. So I guess going to games, um, I, as, as I say, I, I definitely don't have an affinity for Manchester United, but uh, I don't hate them. They're not my they're not my least favorite club. Yeah, and and for me, like it really is purely neutral. I, I didn't grow up watching Manchester United be very good at soccer. Like they haven't won a title since 2013. I wasn't really watching a lot of soccer in in 2013, and, and certainly that was before like my formative years of of like really actually working in this space. So I I pretty much have neutral feelings because they they haven't been like at the top of the league consistently in in my time watching them and I don't know they haven't been at the yeah. forefront of of really relevance either in the Premier League which has been dominated by City and, and Liverpool for the last several years now. 
I think for a certain generation, um, Ryan and Taylor, I think, are in this generation with, with I. Mine United, for a time, were like a cultural force. They were more than just kind of a football team. So Man City at the moment, very good team, maybe the best ever Premier League team in, in, in history. But I don't really feel like they have that cultural relevance that Manchester United had towards the end of the 90s and into the early 2000s. And I compare, and I was talking to Taylor about this um, kind of off mic earlier this week, compare the Manchester United treble season and how that was covered and, and the magical moments that came from that season, then compare it to how Man City's season has been covered this season. I don't, I don't think, in, in a cultural sense, they can be compared, really. So United, maybe it was a pre-internet thing, a pre-social media thing, but United, as I say, were more than a football team at their peak. Mm. I think that's a really interesting point, Graham. And it might pertain to the fact that we're in the peak content era. As you say, Manchester United were kind of pre-internet, kind of, you know, uh, you might have read a magazine in the evening rather than yeah. going on the internet, for example. Joe, Joe thinks we sound like we're 200 years old here. So you said, right. you said, is a magazine like made of paper or is it like several iPads that are somehow like welded together that you flip through? Yeah, that's right. One of it's those an NFT. Yeah. Right, <laughs> but yeah, I, may, maybe that's part of it, uh, Graham. In the fact that there's so much competing for your time in terms of entertainment and sports now, that maybe maybe it has less of an impact. Taylor, I mean, not to derail us here, but I, I suspect that's more of a Man City thing. That I feel like, especially for English media, that '99 treble team was all about, like you know, the the, the class of '92 and young English players coming through and a squad built around by Sir Alex Ferguson and around youth and exciting players and. Uh, and I like contrast that with Man City and the ownership and the way they've been assembled. And I, th- I think that's probably part of it. But I, I still take your point, Graham, that there is this sort of reverence for that club and that specific club at that specific time. Hence why we get a documentary about the class of 92 and, and things of that nature. Whereas I don't know how many of those we'll get about Man City. Maybe we'll get the retrospective documentary about Erling Holland scoring 500 goals in a season. But I take your point. And I will add that this is... A somewhat self-indulgent episode. I requested this be the topic this week, not because I want to spend the entire episode talking about Manchester United, though we will, but largely because I am confused about what's happening and I haven't really sat down and read all the stories. There have been three bid rounds at this point. There's people involved and then not involved and then involved again. Somehow the Glazers are still around and basically... It's a huge story that I'm kind of confused by as to how we're still here and how we got here. So I look forward to uh, bouncing ideas off of you uh, three and you all doing the same and us figuring some things out along the way. Wonderful stuff. Sounds like we're going to solve something here, Taylor. That's exciting to hear. Almost certainly not. <laughs> Graham, give us a skinny. What's the latest on this sale of Manchester United? Yeah, so it's worth quickly recapping what has happened so far in the Glazers' sale of Manchester United, which at this point is starting to become a bit of a protracted affair. So back in November, it was reported the Glazers... Yeah, shocking indeed. It was reported back in November that the Glazers were open to the idea of selling the club and invited interested parties to make offers. And there was a statement at the time that read, the board will consider all strategic alternatives, including new investment into the club, a sale or other transactions involving the company. At that time, though, it was believed that a full sale was the most likely outcome. The Glazers set a series of of deadlines for bids to be made. The most recent of those deadlines was at the end of April last week. There have been three different, as Taylor mentioned, there's been three different rounds of bidding. The thing about these deadlines is that they only create a false sense of urgency. (laughs) Um, And that was sort of exposed when the Glazers made a deadline earlier this year. (laughs) And they had to push it back because both Qatar and Jim Ratcliffe didn't finalise their offers in time. 
time. And the Glazers are hardly going to tell them they've missed their chance to make a bid when they're trying to sell the club. So it's all kind of BS, these these deadlines and these rounds. But this is the, the structure of the bidding process. And that's what what is giving it a, a, a time frame. At this moment in time, it seems like there are two credible bids for control of the of the club. So one... Uh, a Qatari bid being made by a man called Sheikh Jassim bin Hamad Al Tani, as you mentioned, Ryan. He's reported to have a wealth of over £1 billion personal wealth. His family is thought to have a collective fortune of £275 billion. And he is the chairman of the Qatar Islamic Bank. And his father is the former prime minister of Qatar. And he's created a company called the 92 Foundation, named after the class of 92, to buy Manchester United. And they insist that they are not affiliated with the Qatari state. They might have to do some convincing on that. But he has, he has expressed an interest all the way through the process um, of taking full control of Manchester United, 100% of the shares. His latest bid is believed to be worth around £5 billion. Then you have Jim Ratcliffe's company, Ineos. They're the other party to have lodged an official bid for control. A little bit of quick background on Ratcliffe. He is one of the richest men in Britain. He grew up in Manchester. He was a boyhood Manchester United fan. He actually tried to buy Chelsea when they were up for sale last year, but he was too late in the process. And, and some people think that was a strategy to alert the Glazers that he was ready to buy a club. Enios is his company. They're the ones technically making the bids, but they're a petrochemicals company. They already own Nice in Ligue 1 in France. They have stakes in a sailing team and the Mercedes F1 team. As well, according to the Telegraph, the latest bid made by Ineos is the highest bid so far in terms of how it values Manchester United. But there is this option that Ratcliffe and Ineos are giving the Glazers of staying as minority investors. So the Glazers own 69% of Manchester United. Um, the, the theory is that maybe Ratcliffe and Ineos would buy 51%, which they would need to be in control of Manchester United, allow the Glazers to keep their minority stake. And that is how they kind of achieve the best of both worlds, because it seems unlikely, or maybe not the best of both worlds, but as the Glazers see it, the best of both worlds, because it seems unlikely that Ineos and Ratcliffe are going to outbid the Qataris and Sheikh Jassim from Manchester United. So from their point of view, they're thinking creatively. There's also this third option. I've been talking for a long time. I'm going to pass the mic now, but there's a, there's a third option from Ellie Elliott, um, management as well, I believe they're called, where they might um, make an inv- a minority investment in Manchester United, allowing the Glazers to stay in control, or they might give the Glazers funding to invest some money in the club as well. Graham, that was a phenomenal breakdown. Like, legitimately, it was extremely helpful. And, I mean, I had researched a lot of that so I, I, because I was going to be on the show, but I, I think that was a r- really good and concise breakdown. There are, I have, like, three things to say. Two are responses to Graham, and one is a question for Taylor that I know will, will basically get us into our first break. So this is, <laughs> this is good stuff. <laughs> the first is... Um, I researched about uh, about Sheikh Jassim. Jassim, I guess not that well. But uh, in in this company, the 92 Foundation, I did not put together that that was like named after the class of 92. That's like the most suck-up teacher's pet move of all yeah. time. Like to create a company <laughs> named after the class of 92 <laughs> as you're attempting to buy Manchester United. It's like front row, hand raised as aggressively as possible. Like, oh, actually, I did do a lot of research into who you are and like the most famous thing about you. Actually, that's it. But I do have a lot of money. Can I please have this team? I thought that was funny. The second thing is, Graham, you mentioned there's speculation that Jim Ratcliffe's bid for Chelsea was just like sort of to alert the Glazer family that he wants to buy Manchester United. Just 
text, just text, maybe just like text the Glazers instead of going through all of the effort <laughs> to do into that. Their DMs. Yeah, like I think I can think of like eight thousand better ways to go about doing that than um, making a real bid for Chelsea first. And the, the last thing is Taylor, a question for you because mm. Graham hit at something that's important in this discussion about these two bids is Jafton's bid is for the entire club. And Ratcliffe's bid certainly seems to be leaving the Glazers involved. Taylor, for you, as a Manchester United fan who I know does not like the Glazers terribly much and is not a huge fan of countries owning soccer teams, which are both very reasonable takes, would you rather have Qatar ownership or the Glazers staying and being involved along with Jim Ratcliffe? So it, it is a pretty big divide, the question you're asking. Uh, they talked about this on Talk of the Devils, the Man United Athletic podcast, uh, specifically about the 1958, the the group that organized the protest this past weekend. They are vehemently anti-Glazer, but even they, I believe, will not take an official stance one way or the other because I think there's an awareness that there is a huge divide. And anytime you sort of try to publicly state, this is what we're for, there's going to be an immediate opposition group that sort of dilutes the potency of your message. Uh, but I think where I come from on this one, I do not love sports washing. Uh, so I would lean towards Jim Ratcliffe, though he is fracking and has his own baggage coming with him. Uh, but I, th- I think the Glazers in a minority role where they're just leeching off the club is, I guess, still an improvement off of them in a majority role where they're leeching off the club. Um, but I think if if you remove the sports washing element, which I will not do, but I will say that if you do, uh, the the Qatari bid is the better bid. It's 100% ownership. There's already pledges for uh, funding infrastructure improvements, yeah. both with the club and in the city. Um, but and I think there's been a, a a move as as Graham sort of indicated to try to separate uh, Sheikh Shasim from the Qatari government and argue that this isn't a bid yeah. from the Qatari government. It's an individual whose father was heavily involved in the Qatari government and was like the number two man for a very long time. But we're not affiliated at all with the government. Uh, yeah. So there's only one picture as well of Sheikh Jassim. I don't know if anyone has noted that. Every yes. single news report uses the same picture. I'm not convinced to, this man exists. Yeah, to the extent that like you, I think you say that in jest, Graham, but there is an idea that within Qatar, he is not an influential figure, though he has an influential standing uh, as the head of the bank. But I I think there is this idea that it's basically he is sort of potentially a figurehead person who can be seen as separate from the kind of entrenched government bureaucracy that that is sort of above him. with all that said, Joe, I think I still lean Jim Ratcliffe. Uh, I, again, it's you know it's a Tory who loves fracking, but it's somebody who's like from the area who grew up supporting them, who I think would care a lot about them. Not to say that Sheikh Jassim wouldn't, because it sounds like he got into the club around the same time I did, and as a lifelong fan, that's cool. Uh, but at the same time, it is I think Jim Ratcliffe wants to buy them for Jim Ratcliffe reasons. Qatar wants to buy them for Qatar reasons, and I guess an individual wanting to buy a club, I can understand more than a country yeah. or a sovereign wealth fund. One big difference between the, the two bids in a financial sense that we should mention is um, the Qatari bid, the Sheikh Jassim mm-hmm. bid, will wipe out the debt entirely. Yep, exactly. And Ineos and Ratcliffe have said they won't do that, but instead will load the debt onto Ineos, yep. which is better than that debt being on Manchester. I believe that debt is around £600 million pounds as it currently stands. £741 than, million. Pounds. There we go. That is better than that debt being on Manchester United, but that debt still exists, whereas the Qatari bid is to wipe it out can, entirely. Can I ask can I ask a question for for you, Graham or Taylor, doesn't really matter. 
Like, what practically, what difference does it make to Manchester United's fan base? What the debt number is, or where it is, or who's paying it? Like, what, uh-huh. how does that affect things? Well, it could affect their transfer business over a longer period of time. So the, the, the number that the Glazers have had to pay in interest payments alone on that debt is close to £1 billion. So that's £1 billion going to the bank to service the debt that allows the Glazers to be owners of Manchester United. That money could have been spent on redeveloping Old yeah. Trafford. It could have been spent on spending money. Not that Manchester United haven't okay. spent money in the transfer market, but they could be in play for you know the best players in the world, for Messi right. and all these guys and, with that sort of money. So that's wait, the material one, sorry, difference. One other quick question to go along with that, and Taylor, then I'll, I'll turn it to you. This, this can be for you. If the debt goes to Enios... Like, how is that not as good as the debt yeah. just being paid off? Like, like there's, what difference does that make? There's a key. There's a key thing there. When Graham says the Glazers have had to pay that interest, the Glazers haven't paid anything. Yeah, the, they've taken the money out of Fair. Manchester United sure. to then the profits that the club has made to then pay that debt that they put on the club. So for the longest time, it's the Glazers again. Leverage buyout bought the club, then transferred the debt that they accrued buying the club onto the club itself, and that's where that debt has come from. So the club had no debt or very minimal debt until that point, and now the Glazers have continued. To compound that debt, and interest has done the same. And so I think there's a feeling, number one, that this was the club that you all bought, but you didn't really buy because you're using our money to pay yourselves. It gets very confusing. And then at the same time, it has been a thing that has then been a justification for not spending and not doing certain infrastructure improvements. And to some extent, it has at times been the equivalent of, we would love to improve Old Trafford. We would love to make the necessary arrangements. We would love to be able to afford more in the transfer market, but we've got this debt. We've got to pay it down. We've got to be financially stable. Right. And right there, there's an idea that like you created this problem and now you're acting as though you didn't while pointing to the problem as the reason you can't do more. And so I think that's where a lot of the negativity towards the Glazers has come from is that for the sure. club has been treated as a piggy bank more than yeah. a the asset and important thing for so many millions of people that it is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. And that always kind of annoys me when people say the Glazers have spent this amount of money. It's not the Glazers at all. It's Manchester United that is, they generate their own revenue. But to answer your question, Joe, what difference does it make if yeah. the debt is, is on Enios? I guess Manchester United becomes part of the Enios portfolio. And obviously Enios is this giant, this giant company. But one way or, or another, that money would still be drawn from Manchester United as part of their wider Mm. portfolio. So that's not to say that all the money would be drawn from Manchester United to pay off that debt, but they would be part of the wider company that still has to pay off that debt. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dig a little further into this scenario. Back shortly. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Taylor, we've all seen Succession. When these kind of deals go down, I assume yeah. they take place on the top of a mountain in Norway. Is that how they're doing the negotiations? Nobody the has phone cases. Yes. That's right. Of course, of course. And Very expensive no, baseball caps. And no branded clothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, a, or a super yacht, one or the other. Um, it seems like this is being done slowly via fax machine, as is the Manchester United way of late, because we've had the three rounds of bids that... It it really does feel like, all right, slide me your offer, and then I will make a decision. Everyone slides the offers, and they're like, okay, my decision is that I would like you to slide me larger offers. Like, that seems to be what keeps happening. And it does, uh, from the reporting, uh, seem to be that Sheikh Shasim, his bid was around $5 billion. I think Graham uh, already said that. For 100% ownership, Glazer's, I think, hesitant to agree to that number. By all accounts, they are holding out for a $6 billion price tag, which... Uh, you know, whatever they own it, it's it's their prerogative. I would just note that part of Sheikh Jassim's bid is to clear out that seven hundred forty-one million pounds in debt. So you add five plus seven forty-one, and you get way closer to that six billion figure. So it seems like the Glazers want again to to get as much money as they can possibly get out of it without doing anything to solve any of the issues that they created, which. Is not surprising (laughs) for the Glazers, but at the same time, again, is further evidence as to why so many people dislike them and why so many people do not want them affiliated with the club at all, even if it is a minority interest when it comes to uh, Jim Ratcliffe's purchase. And even there, there's some issues with Class A versus Class B shares and voting rights and all that. It gets really murky really quickly. Yeah, it's it's, it's a complicated situation, Graham, but I think, yeah, the point is they're trying to drive that price a little higher, but... You know, the Glazers are, are making out gangbusters here already with that five billion bid. Is is it simply as the case that they see a guy who's got one hundred billion net worth and they think we can get six or seven out of this dude if we hang out long enough? Yeah, I also think they see what Chelsea went for yeah. last summer. I don't have that number in front of me, but was it f- what uh, four point five billion around yeah, that mark? around there? Yeah. Yeah, and so Manchester United this week were valued by Sportico as the the most valuable soccer club in the world, way ahead of Chelsea. So they see what Chelsea has gone for. On you go, Taylor. Oh, I was I was going to say to further drive home Graham's point. Uh, Graham, do you know who facilitated the sale of Chelsea? Uh, the same, it's the Rain Group, right? The same company that's handling this sale. Correct. Immediately after they facilitated that sale, the Glazers hired them. So I think that is maybe the Exhibit A argument in your idea that they saw what Chelsea went for and thought, we want that but more. People who made that happen, yeah. make us get more. And it's not just the Chelsea sale, and I'm out of my depth here, I definitely don't have this number in front of me, but Taylor, the Washington Commanders, right? They've been sold recently, or are in the process of being sold, yeah. I believe, for a lot of money. We're just, hitting all of, my... we're just hitting all of Taylor's teams today, although I guess you're, are you, <laughs> you're of more of a Browns guy, Taylor, aren't at you, this at this point? point? Yes, yeah, at this okay. point, yes. But they've gone for a lot of money, right, or are going for a lot of money, and I think the Glazers yeah. are looking at that as well and thinking, hold on, yeah. Minet is one of the biggest sporting brands in the world, we should be getting at least that yeah. and more. I think before that one, the largest sale, I think, of any club or any team in the world was the Broncos sale, which I think was around $4 billion. So, lest we forget, the Glazers also own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so there's probably an idea there of, well, they're going for $4 billion, and now we've got the, the Washington Commanders playing in the worst stadium in, in the NFL, and they're going for this amount of money? Well, we're also playing in the worst stadium, but we're an even bigger brand. We should be making even more money than that. Uh, and I think to to throw out like my feelings slash a slight conspiracy is that there has been reportedly a divide in the Glazer children. So it's Malcolm who bought the club 
Uh, and then it's the six children who have the kind of controlling interest in the voting share. Uh, by all accounts, Joel and Avram want to retain ownership. Brian, Edward, Kevin, That's and Darcy. What's that? It really <laughs> is. Right. Exactly. Yes, yes, it really is. Except that my my feeling is basically they are all okay with keeping it. They are all okay with selling it. But yeah. they are aware that if they present it as like, well, some of us want to sell and some of us want to stay, I think this is all – Leverage And same thing with going out and looking at minority investment offers that would then allow them to keep their controlling interest but have an influx of cash. That doesn't seem like a thing that they actually care about. To me, it seems like they are basically trying to say, like, well, we don't have to sell to either one of you. Again, I think they're just trying to drive up the price by saying, like, well, you know what? Never mind. Maybe the club isn't even for sale. I feel like that's all bargaining and and positioning. And it is in a lot of ways like a smart bit of business to go through this public spectacle to try and continue to raise and drum up interest in your club to ultimately either sell it. And I do think this is a good time to sell Manchester United. I know Manchester United fans have wanted that for a long time, but strictly from a numbers and timing perspective, looking around the rest of the sports landscape, especially the Premier League, you know, seeing Chelsea get sold for a lot of money, which we've already discussed. Like we talked about this stuff back in January, I think of this year, that the timing makes a lot of sense. The Super League fails, Project Big Picture fails. Old Trafford needs fixing. Like all of these factors could lead towards a very timely exit for the Glazers. At the same time, if I'm the Glazers, I am probably open to holding on to the club and just trying to drum up as much interest in cash for a minority stake as possible. And I would be pretty surprised if throughout this process, the last seven months or so, if they haven't raised the level that folks are willing to pay, even for a minority perspective. So yeah, I, I think you don't have to like the Glazers, and I, I think there are many reasons as as to why you probably shouldn't. But I can see some business savvy in in the midst of all this yeah. mess. The only thing I would add to that is if they plan on keeping the club in its entirety. I did some reading on this, and and it can actually be illegal what they've done, where essentially they have drummed up the price of the share to the point where Manchester United are more valuable now than they have. I think been ever or certainly in a long time and and that can be market manipulation if you have no intention of selling because that bump in price has been artificially created it's essentially what the elon Musk not get some kind of fine for tweeting about tesla stock and then not actually selling tesla stock and mm-hmm. that the share price rocketed up and his his shares were all of a sudden worth more so i don't know if the glazers are doing that yeah. but uh, i do think they're playing the different bidders against each other to get the best deal possible even well, if they stay as minority owners well and, and that's like is that just not what you're supposed to do again i i don't want to i feel like in these episodes i always come out as the one who's like well but also when it comes to the glazers but if I'm selling something that's worth a lot of money, I'm going to try to make as much money from the thing that's worth a lot of money as I can. So I'm going to wait till I get a good bid that I like. I'm going to set multiple deadlines, although that part is a bit silly. Like I'm going to move through this process and I'm not going to be in a rush because uh, we're talking about large numbers and the differences between those large numbers also being large numbers. Yeah. So Taylor, from a fan perspective, this is, as we've outlined, an underwhelming choice uh, of preference for these two bids. The Qatar is obviously, which ostensibly is a nation state, despite the camouflage being put around it. Or, as you mentioned, Jim Ratcliffe, who is a Tory tax exile who lives in Monaco, who deals in <laughs> petrochemicals and fracking. Um, it's not exactly choosing between cuddly puppies and kittens, is it, at this point? It's, I it's, choose the puppies. And well, Taylor's made his position. Obviously. He loves the, uh, the Brexit-loving uh, tax exile. Uh, so... Uh, but but I'm, I'm being truth, facetious truth be, there. Truth be told, and I don't want to like 
I'm very aware of how quickly this could be overly self-indulgent, so I don't want to go too far down that road. I will say, if if you want my honest answer, I don't really like either of these, and I don't really like the Glazers. Where it leaves me is like, go Richmond Kickers, go DC United. It does make me sort of look more towards smaller clubs, local clubs, where not even that I can have more involvement. It's just, it sort of starts to feel like, oh, this really is just this like corporate thing that I have no real connection yeah, to and grubby. doesn't really care if I care about them. Whereas the kickers love when people show up to their games, want me to bring my family and my friends to attend. And, and so there is, I think to some extent, a feeling for me of like, either way it goes, I think I'm probably less enthusiastic of a Man United fan. I've wondered, am I going to be a hypocrite? And when they go out and spend 500 million in the window and they're really good again, am I going to be all back on board and excited? And I just, I don't think I will be because at the same time, I will know there are ulterior motives for why this club has been sold and purchased and, and it makes it harder to get really excited about them. So I think to some extent, I'm I'm excited for the next chapter. At the on the other hand, go Sterling Albion, go AFC Wimbledon, go Phoenix Rising, go Richmond. There it Davis. is. There, there it is. Go. Let's go. That's the conclusion of the episode. We still got a way to go. I like that. <laughs> um, Graham, what's the general fan sentiment though? I mean, you mentioned there was protests obviously last weekend. Do we, it, it's difficult yeah. to say where the fans have landed because there's no real official position. It's hard to make a choice. Obviously. The Qatari bid is compelling because of the clearing the debt and because it will, if if Manchester United realistically want to be in the echelon with Man City, with Newcastle, with the PSGs of this world, that's the route they really need to take, really, isn't it? Um, I would maybe push back on that slightly just because I think Manchester United, along with kind of Barcelona and Real Madrid's, are of a level that they don't really need an oil state owner to compete at that level. It would certainly help them but Manchester United's revenue puts them at the level that Liverpool can... at that level Graham no I don't think so I think Liverpool are and this is dodgy territory to be on we're comparing Manchester United and Liverpool but financially whenever I've read about this subject Liverpool are kind of a tier below Manchester United where they, they maybe can't compete for those players in the transfer market so I would kind of disagree slightly that Manchester United need an owner an oil state owner a rich owner to, to compete at the elite level as far as I can tell and, and Taylor's kind of referenced this already there has been a bit of a split amongst the Man United support over what they want to happen there is that unanimous agreement that the Glazers are bad owner every owners everyone wants them to leave However, some fans see the money the Qatar bid could give the club and they have dollar signs spinning in their eyes and others don't want sports washers as owner of the club. And I think a lot of the divide is actually between uh, the social media fans and the fans on the ground. So if you look at tweet replies to tweets from the 1958 or the the Supporters Trust, I can't remember what they're called, they've got an acronym as well. Um, a lot of the fans are very pro-Qatar. I don't know how many of those are bots, right enough. But then I look at Andy Mitten, who, is, uh, who, who does work for The Athletic. I think he might be on that podcast that you were mentioning, Taylor, Talk yeah, of the is. Devils. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's very much boots on the ground. He goes on to every kind of home and away Manchester City game. And so you look at some of the stuff he produces and the fans that he kind of hangs around with are, are very much kind of anti-Qatar. They're anti-Glazers as well, but they don't want the club to end up in the hands of, of sports washers. There were protests before the Villa game last weekend. The message there, I have to admit, even though they were very much boots on the ground, fans at the game the message seemed to be a little bit muddled there there was a big banner that said full sale only a lot of fans um marching behind that banner that obviously is is anti-glazer but i think some people also read it as pro-qatar 
given that Jassim's bid seems to be the only one at the moment that would likely rid the club of the Glazers completely and be that 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 full sale. The 1958 put out a statement attempting to clarify they don't have a preference. I don't really think that clarified much, in, uh, to be honest. They say they just want the Glazers to leave, but there is that debate among the United support over what is the best uh, the best option. I think that reflects, as you say, Ryan, the fact that the choice is between a sports-washing regime and a sports washing individual and company because mm. that's what that's what Jim Ratcliffe is doing right Enios is they they do have their finger in many pies with the sailing team and Mercedes F1 and owning Nice but they've got involved with sports to sports wash the reputation of a petrochemicals company and a person who owns a petrochemicals company yeah. so it really is quite a <laughs> a, a, a difficult choice between those two potential owners yeah it's I'm gl- glad you took it there Graham because it is fascinating how like seemingly different but very similar the the bidders are it, it is like a uh, seemingly nefarious individual connected to oil money check uh but like Qatar already owns PSG well Jim Ratcliffe already owns Nice like and and I think another one in there as well so there's like multi club ownership there's there's the fracking behind it there's questionable politics uh and then there's the lack of involvement of the Glazers versus the involvement of the Glazers. It does seem like either way people are going to be annoyed because either the Glazers will still be there or Qatar will be in charge. One way or the other, it's going to be something. There's no scenario, Graham, where it's better the devil you know. Do you stick with the Glazers, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor's answered that one for me. Yeah, I, um, I've written a lot about the Glazers and Manchester United. I think they're absolutely horrendous owners. Um, everything that they've done with Manchester United sits really terribly with me. I think I've made my football politics clear in my uncomfortability, uncomfortableness. Is that a word? What is the word that I'm looking for? I am uncomfortable, uncomfortable with billionaires. Yeah, I, that's the one, Ryan. Uh, I am uncomfortable with billionaires owning football clubs in the first place, never mind billionaires who take over a billion pounds out of the club to line their own pockets and pay the bank for the debt that they put onto the club. So um, I get what you're saying, Ryan. I still think my United are better off with the Glazers, not at the club but I'm no, I have no idea who should take over as the new owners. Uh, I, I think this is like a fascinating moral discussion in a lot of ways because that that's sort of where all conversations about these gigantic clubs end up going because the only people that can buy them are people that have a lot of money and there's oftentimes a lot of baggage that comes with that. Taylor, question for you. All, all I'm doing is like being Junior Ryan on this episode. Ryan is still like <laughs> conducting. I'm just like popping in questions here and there. Um, for you, the Glazers, as far as I'm aware, made their money from real estate. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I'm sure a bunch Shit of other balls. businesses along yep. the way. Is that less abhorrent to you than than Jim Ratcliffe and then Qatar? It it seems on the surface at least that it, it maybe would be. Like why is it then that you're so against the Glazers? I understand all the context, the debt, the stadium, the relations with fans, like blah 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 blah. But if if we say this all comes down to a moral argument, then like how how does that factor in? Like how do you sort of work through those things in your head? Do you remember the Joe, do, have you ever seen the original Ted Lasso ads for yes. NBC? Yeah. That disposition and mentality of like, why do you even do this? That was kind of the Glazers, in, in my opinion, when they bought Manchester United. Right. But there was no real awareness of Manchester United aside from it's a potential cash cow piggy bank that we can loot. Uh, but there wasn't any real enthusiasm for football, for what right. they achieved, for anything like that. And so to me... It was the clearest signal possible of we see this as an asset that we can add to our portfolio uh, and then pull money out of, pull dividend payments out of for as long as we want to. They've done that. On top of that, 
there is very clearly from all the reporting from everyone who has ever tried to do interviews, a complete unwillingness to have any conversation with any media member from that family. They do not want to talk. They do not want to explain themselves. They don't feel like they should have to. Everything I've heard, especially from Andy Mitten, is that they do not care about fan protests. They don't care about fan sentiment. And so to me, it is them buying a thing that they did not care about, had no emotional connection to, only saw as an asset that, again, millions of people care about and thought that their interest in it superseded that. And I think if you're going to be an owner, if you want to be a good owner at least, you have to be aware that so many other people care about this likely more than you do. Yeah. And so you have to reflect that. You have to at least give them a theoretical seat at the table, which they finally sort of did after the, the round of protests that saw a game suspended um, but or postponed. Uh, but I, it just to me is it, it's, it's really clear that they don't actually yeah. care about running a club. They care about making money. And at least Jim Ratcliffe and Sheikh Jassim seem like they're buying it to make it an institution again. So I, I guess then I'm, I'm just I get a little bit confused in terms of like, is this a moral discussion? Maybe this is I'm just like mixed up in how I'm thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Is it like a is it a moral issue in terms of the folks that are interested in buying the club? Or is it the fact that the Glazers are just a bad owner, right? Like, I, I agree I with everything both. you just said. I, yeah, okay, interesting. Well, I guess I, okay. don't, I don't have a lot of other thoughts, I, I suppose. Well, I, I can explain that a little bit more. I think I think the Glazers have been bad owners, like straight up. I, I think that they have Fair. not invested money into the club, certainly not their own money. They've taken money out of it. I think a way, not even the results on the pitch, but the the way they've gone about hiring people and firing people and Ed Woodward and the way he negotiates and cares more about sponsorships and branding, they have not made good decisions and it doesn't feel like there has been a, put it this way, Todd Bowley, you can say any number of negative things about, I do still feel like he, he cares, he gives an S and so he is trying poorly i would say and not succeeding but there is at least an effort to like learn and be better and try to figure things out and for the glazers it has just felt to me like eh, who cares we're here for the money this it's like it's like if you're running a restaurant and people show up because of the name and you slowly just quit caring about the food that you're actually serving eventually the name goes away and you're just a bad restaurant serving bad food and i think that's what the glazers have let the club become uh, and so they have been poor owners, but then I think you look at the people that they're selling to, and that's where there becomes a moral quandary of bad owners that aren't putting any money in and don't care about it, they can go away, but who do you want to take over? Because somebody has to take over, because they're not just going to give it away, and they're not going to let fans take over. So then there's the morality side of things as well. As I said in the beginning, I think if you look at this on paper and remove the names, Sheikh Shasim's bid is 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 100% the better Option. It is more money for the Glazers, by all accounts. It is more money for Manchester United immediately in terms of infrastructure and transfer spending. Uh, but then also, I think, again, there's infrastructure for the city itself that, that's being pledged. It's wiping out of the debt. It's just then the, the moral issues and connections that come with that and the sports washing involved that, that muddy the waters a little bit. I hope that makes a little more sense. This is all very depressing, isn't it? This discussion. <laughs> Let's take a little break here. When we come back, a little more about this and maybe... How we see the future of Manchester United, which are the path they take. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. 
We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trap over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and they, all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our big thing. Uh, Taylor, uh, to, to build on Joe's question about the, the, the ethics or the morals of these uh, mm. divergent owners or, or options we have here, I suppose you, you mentioned how the Glazers, the perception is they don't care about the club and it's like, mm. you know, pre-Apple uh, pre, uh, Ted Lasso as the attitude, which is completely fine. But the presumption, mm-hmm. in that opinion, is that the Qatari owners or the Ratcliffe uh, ownership or part ownership will have the fans' interests at heart and will be better and will be stewards and caretakers who want to make Manchester United an institution. That's not a given, is it? Yeah. No, that that's well said. And maybe I've been clumsy in that explanation. I, I think, I hope this, this connects. It connects to me. So we'll see if it does for you all or if I'm just a lunatic in my Manchester United fandom. Uh, I think when you are 
potentially spending the amount of money that both of these bids would require the potential owners to spend. I don't think you're doing that for the commercial viability of the club and what you could do to make money out of them further. They may well make money off of them. I'm, I'm assuming they're the owners. They will continue to pull dividend payments, maybe not as as much as the Glazers have. Uh, but I do think that there is an idea that if you're buying it, you want to, if you're Jim Ratcliffe, restore them to what they were when you, when you were a kid and then you're the one who brought Manchester United back and made them this institution again. And then you have this crown jewel of, of your asset portfolio that you can sell on, but you can obviously continue to put money into and make bigger and better and bigger and better. And that, I think, aligns with what fans want. They want more money put into the club for a better stadium, for better infrastructure, but then obviously for more better players. So Eric Ten Hag has a better squad. It seems like that's what Sheikh Jassim is also planning to do. So it's not necessarily that they will care more about the fans. I, I don't know if they will. I don't think they probably will. It's more that what they, what they have promised to do and the money that they're promising to put in, to me, is more in line with what the fans' minimum expectation would be. So they're satisfying that in a way that the Glazers never yeah. have and have never seemed particularly interested in doing. Yeah, if I'm Qatar or if I'm Jim Ratcliffe, there's no way that I'm going to buy this club and do what mm-hmm. the Glazers have done, right? Like, it, it, I, don't, I don't think it makes financial sense, first of all. The Glazers, in a way, kind of bought low and will eventually sell high. Mm-hmm. The price is now high, and it, it will probably get higher. The club will continue to gain value as soccer continues to, to grow and the Premier League continues to establish its dominance in the global soccer sphere. But, you know, this is probably not the asset that you buy if, if you're looking for, like, a, a pure investment opportunity. Go buy an NWSL team and, like, quadruple your investment in two decades, right? Do, yeah. some, do something else. So I think that's the first part of this. The second part is, especially with Qatar, but I think you can do this with Jim Ratcliffe and anyone else as well. And, and you all make good points. This is about perception. Right For both of these people, this is about perception, and it's easier and probably more relevant on the Qatar side. But you know, we, we see this with Newcastle. You, we see this with PSG. You don't buy a club as a, as a nation to go in and let it dwindle. Right? You don't buy a club to go in and, and let people roast you online because they're bad. You buy it to sports wash. Like you don't buy it to sports dirty, right? You, you buy it to try to make it into something better than it is. So I, I would be sports shocked. Contaminate, I believe. Yeah, sports, sports contaminate. That's probably better yeah. than sports dirty. <laughs> I mean, you I like that one too. You don't buy a club right, unless you have real plans to improve its image that then will improve your image. So I would be really surprised if either yeah. of these folks didn't come in and do on a sporting side. Again, like I think there's two conversations to be had here, and we've we've kind of already had both of them in different ways. So I, I'm not trying to retread ground. There's two conversations. One is the moral side, and I, people are going to have different perspectives on that. And one is the sporting side. I think it is very very clear to see that either of these two options will be a large improvement on on the sporting infrastructure and the sporting habits that have been put in place. The other question is is a whole different can of worms. Yeah, you also don't intend on doing a job if you're a fan of the club. And I know there's the whole Sheikh Jassim, I'm a fan of Manchester United, but this guy, all the research I've read, all the reported pieces... The one picture you've not seen, etc., etc. Et yeah, yeah, there's one picture of this guy. Nobody really seems to know anything about him. He's There's no public uh, kind of record of him. Is he AI, and- Graham? He might be AI, yeah. He might be AI at this point. He is. He's just typed in "make me a United fan" and give me Manchester United into chat GP, G, GPT, and this is what it is spat out. But what I'm saying is, I'm I'm kind of spe- skeptical of his whole story that he's a United fan, even down to the naming the foundation the nine two to try and prove that he knows what that it's reference absurd. is. It's absurd. Whereas is. with Jim Ratcliffe. 
you know, when he sits down with Dan Rohn of the BBC and he gave that interview saying he was going to buy, or he was trying to buy Chelsea, one of Dan Rohn's first questions was, you're a Man United fan. What are you doing? So there's, there's that kind of public record of Jim Ratcliffe being a Man United fan. I believe there's a picture of him at the Camp Nou in 1999 as well. So I kind of believe that he is actually a, a Manchester United fan, whereas with Jassim, he needs to convince me and other people. Graham, was the picture of 99 at the Camp Nou, was he drilling under the stadium to try and extract some precious... <laughs> oils well if he wants to do that now is the time given how barcelona are selling off all their all their assets so maybe they would sell the the oil and gas underneath the camp now i think i think honestly i think like you two graham and ryan have a little more ability leeway to sort of talk about who is an actual fan versus who isn't because reading Mm. about like whether or not it's real i don't really want to speculate on that i'll just say that like Sheikh Jassim's fandom seems very similar to my own in terms of the timeline, what brought him to the club, how he stuck with them. And so to some His extent, story does. His story does. Yes. That's different oh, from, oh, act, from actually Oh, from no, that's reality. what I'm saying. But the story that has been presented, I think for me, I don't feel comfortable being like, yeah, who's this outsider trying to come in with this accent? <laughs> like, like, like I, I, I myself am, a, am an outsider to Manchester United. So the idea of me saying... Well, Jim Ratcliffe has cared about it since he was a boy and lived in England. Like, I've cared about them since I was a boy, but I don't live in England. And I've said that before. I don't know if my voice is, my, is as meaningful my, as people who've been supporting that club for decades so, who live there. So just to clarify that point, I, I have no issue with Jassim being a Qatari Manchester United fan. It's not, and I know in this specific instance, it is uh, Johnny Englishman versus Johnny Foreigner with Jim Ratcliffe. That's not really the point I'm making. If if Sheikh Jassim, if there was a public record of him being a Manchester United fan, this mm-hmm. wouldn't be a discussion point. He'd be a Manchester United fan just as much as Jim Ratcliffe. It's just the fact that this guy has come out of nowhere, mm-hmm. almost been imagined out of the ether, and now says he's been a Manchester United fan for 20 years. I'm kind of sceptical. Like, is that true? Whereas with Ratcliffe, we do have that, you know, Ratcliffe's one of the most, has been one of the richest men in Britain for the last 20 years, and so he's a public figure. There's pictures of him at my United games. We kind of knew he was a Man fan already i can believe that more in his case although i believe when he lived in london he went to he had like a chelsea season ticket as well so maybe i'm giving him too much credit <laughs> oh dear he's david cameroning this thing graham all over the place doesn't even know which <laughs> team he supports uh, so my, my final question for this one taylor let's look down let's let's sliding doors this thing let's look down the road in five years or so let's say a new owner comes into place this summer for manchester united if it's Qatari ownership group, where do you see Man United in five years or maybe five to ten years? And likewise, if it's Ratcliffe and maybe Glazers uh, in force with one another, how how different are those two futures? Um, Ratcliffe, I feel less comfortable because I, I don't really I don't really know what his vision would be. I don't really know what Sheikh Jassim's would be either. But if past is precedent. It could be Man City, it could be Newcastle, or it could be something more disastrous. But I think what it looks like is ideally backing the present manager, who seems to have a pretty good idea of the squad, what he needs to make them better. And coming from my ex, I would I would kind of naturally assume also has an idea for the academy, for how he wants players to be developed and come through. And so... I think if you do something what, like what Newcastle have done, which is don't make yourself like the center of the story every single time. Uh, I don't really need Qatari flags on opening day, for example. Uh, the Saudis did that one. But I, I think sort of backing the manager 
making smart, occasionally big money signings, uh, investing in the infrastructure and improving that way. I think that I think Newcastle have gone about it at probably the best you can, because even Man City, uh, before they have Pep, they have what Mark Hughes, then they have uh, Pellegrini. Uh, I think that might be it. Maybe there's one more in there. But it, I think they had a lot of growing pains and tried to make that big statement right away. And I think this the smarter they would look much smarter to me if they're not about like we've got a billion dollars to spend and then one player now costs a hundred million when they would have cost twenty million. I think sort of being. Like let, letting your influence speak for itself and letting Eric Ten Hag do what he needs to do puts you in a much better position. I think in some ways it's the best time to buy Manchester United, where Eric Ten Hag clearly has gotten the best out of a team, but we see the limitations of that squad. You can come in, you can back him, you can improve certain aspects of the stadium and the training facility, and I think have a pretty sizable difference right away. So I think if they do that, then they're on sound footing. We've also seen the scenario when they come in, they're going to totally build around this manager, there's a downturn in form, and they sack that manager, and then you have chaos. And I think that would be very much the negative consequence of this sale. I, I, I'm i wondering if I, any of you have any thoughts on Jim Ratcliffe, because I, I don't really. I, I think he has said he wants to take a more active role in the transfer window, I believe he said, and that makes me very nervous because I think anybody coming in and saying, I know how to make this work. You all are dummies. Let me bring my business acumen to this. That almost ends up with uh, panic buying on the transfer deadline day. Worked for Bowley. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fun times. All right. I think we can probably wrap this discussion up here. Listener, let us know what you think about the Manchester United ownership situation and where it might be headed. But for now, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your uh, insight into this situation. And I've, I've got to say, I feel like almost sorry for you that this is the path ahead no, you for your team. No, you don't. Actually, almost, it was almost not, almost, not enough. Yeah. Not enough to yeah. warrant actual feeling sorriness. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the thing. At the end of the day, it's like a Premier League club trying to decide which billionaire to let buy them or like the millionaires to stay in charge. And oh, we, we might miss the chance. Like it's not, it's not that big of a deal to me. I think for people who live and breathe it, uh, it is a much more dire situation and I do not envy them. Uh, but I think it's it's a very luxurious position compared to having a club stolen or desperately hoping that your club stay up in what the Scottish third division. Uh, I think I think there are tougher things in fandom than being a Man United fan. Thank you for that perspective, which I was biting my lip not to add. Uh, Joe Lowry, <laughs> thank you very much sir, for your insight, sir. I'm just offended that you know Taylor didn't talk about the plight of my club uh, in that. I was little trying story. to put it's, it together. It's like it's, you all are fine. <laughs> Yeah, it's all it's all good. We had Drogba one time. That was pretty cool. Ryan, thank That's you. That's the owner. One. That's yeah. the owner I want. I want Didier Drogba as an owner. Then I would be stoked. There we go. And Graham Rutherford, thank you, of course, to you too, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Listener, thank you to you most of all. Thank you for joining us on this journey. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub. 
an official partner of The Athletic.